Well, good morning. Some of you guys are awake this morning, but hopefully I can wake you up a little bit. You know, we are starting a new series today. It is entitled Fight for Your Families. But before we get started, I think some of you guys already know that I really love statistics, and I love to ask questions of you. So before we get started, I wanted to start by asking you a question this morning, and, and that is, how many of you here this morning would fight pretty much anyone if you knew that they were hurting your family? Can I see your hands? Wow. Okay. Those of you that raised your hands, you can go home now. You don't need this message. The rest of you have a two-hour sermon coming up about fighting for your family. You see, I, I remember when I was a young father, my wife and I, Olivia and I, we got married at 18. So when my son entered kindergarten, I was only 23. And I remember my son coming over for the first time and talking to my wife, telling her that a boy had pushed him, taken his ball away, and my wife being the mother that she is, and I think you ladies can relate to this, she was like, oh, my son, uh, are you okay? And, you know, where was the teacher? And all these questions about, you know, how it happened and how did it go? Now, did he do this and did he do that? And, and, and she concluded her conversation by saying, now, but you make sure you tell the teacher when that happens. You know, that's a bully and he needs to be, you need to tell the teacher. And I'm just looking at him like, agreeing. As soon as they were done, I come on this side and I said, now, come here. Now, this is what you're going to do. When this kid comes outside, you're going to be outside, so get some dirt from the ground. And you throw it right into his eyes. Now, he's going to be disoriented momentarily, and that is the perfect time to strike. Now, don't just hit him anywhere. Make sure you hit him right here in the chin, because that's what's going to knock him out. And that's where my wife walks in and says, what are you telling him? And we proceed to have this argument and be like, I don't want my kid to be pushed around. And she's like, she should be, you should be telling the teacher. And we never really resolve anything that day. But all I remember for the rest of the evening is, is contemplating and, and really plotting against the kindergartner for the next day. <laughs> and I, I know I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I think you guys can relate that nobody messes with your family, right? I mean, those, those are, those are, even if they're small kids and, and you, of course, I'm not going to take them out, but you think about it. But you have to be careful what you teach your kids, and you have to be careful what you tell your kids, because this is a true story. Later that year, my son is in kindergarten, and he is in a first grade kindergarten, I mean, a kindergarten first grade combo class, and the principal calls us in and says, I need to talk to you about Carlos. My son's name is Carlos. He's, he's 26 now. And he says, I need to talk to you about Carlos's behavior. And I'm like, well, what's, what's the problem? Why don't you just tell me now? And she's like, no, you guys need to come in. And I'm like, oh, man, this is serious. Ser- serious. I'm like, oh. so we walk in and we sit in the office. And the teacher tells us, well, there was a kid that was beat up. And Carlos had something to do with it. And my wife right away says, like, we've already told Carlos to make sure he tells the teacher. And in my mind, I'm thinking, if this is the same kid, he probably deserved it. And, <laughs> but I'm not saying anything. And so the principal says, well, you know what? Um, it was in Carlos who beat him up. And we're like, we're confused. And I'm like, well, what are we sit doing sitting here? And she says, no, wait. The two boys, it was two boys that beat up this kid. And the two boys that beat up this kid told us that Carlos made them do it. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, my son is barely in first grade. And he's already the leader of a gang. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? But it was situations like these that brought my wife and I to a point where we had to decide how we were going to fight for our only son at the time. 
We weren't believers at the time, and we had to sit down and, and, and come to terms with how we were going to raise our kids, how we were going to fight for our family. Soon thereafter, we discovered a church family where we were able to build community and seek godly counsel. And I have to tell you, that was the best thing that ever happened to my wife and I. But we had to fight for our family, even, the, even starting back then as young parents. But when you look at the definition for fighting in the dictionary, you will come across the first definition where it says that it means that it's a, confront, a violent confrontation or struggle. And this is the definition that we all often think about when we think about the word fighting. However, this morning, I want to talk to you about the second definition of fighting, which it defines it as to strive or to overcome. You see, in today's day and age, when we talk about fighting for your family, it hardly means physical fighting. But it means a different kind of fighting. And this morning, I want to read a story from the book of Nehemiah. And you guys can start opening your Bibles to chapter 4, verse 14. But before we read it, I want to just let you know that Nehemiah, just briefly, he was a servant to a king. He was a cupbearer. And he, was, he found out that the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down. So he was devastated. He was just devastated for his people. He was devastated for his city. And through a series of miracles, God put Nehemiah in a position to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. When the people who had torn down the walls in the first place found out that they were about to rebuild it, well, you would imagine they, they, they started plotting against Nehemiah and his people and his efforts. So we pick up the story in chapter 4, verse 14. And if you guys can read it with me, it's in your outline. and It's also on the back of the screen. And it says, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight. And that's our key text this morning. Fight for your families. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. And fight for your homes. And when our enemies heard, you see, we have a real enemy that wants to destroy your home and my home. And, and this, the scripture says that when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to do our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all of the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore at his, his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. And then we fast forward to verse 20 and it says, Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. And then he says something that is beautiful this morning that we can all just take just courage from. And it says, Our God will fight for us. And again, move forward to verse 23, and he concludes by, said, by saying, Neither I nor my brothers, nor my men, nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. The thing that I want us to see this morning with this great scripture is that it's very easy to understand if we all open up our minds that Satan has targeted the family and the home in the 21st century. His plan is to make every single family miserable by splitting and destroying every home. And he is coming with a vicious hatred after you. The values that we cherish and the, the ideas that, that we hold near and dear are worth fighting for. 
Our families are worth fighting for. Don't you agree? We have to say to those who would come and destroy and oppose our families that we will fight for our sons and that we will fight for our daughters. You know, Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls that had been torn down. And what is needed today in this year of 2012 is the walls of the home to be rebuilt because they have been torn down and disregarded. We all know the, the statistic too well that divorce is now as common as marriages staying together. That homes are fragmented, that, that children and parents are not speaking to one another. There is an attack in the walls of the home and they are being destroyed all around us. And perhaps it's happening in your in your home. But Nehemiah said, I don't care how it looks. We are going to rebuild these walls. But he said that I understand that when I do, I will be opposed. And I love what he said when he started rebuilding the walls. The walls. He said, after I looked things over, he understood that if we were going to rebuild the walls that, and have strong families and strong relationships, he understood that they were going to have to rise up and fight because there's going to be a devil that is going to come against our homes, an enemy to destroy our marriages and our families. So he said, we will hold the sword in one hand and a building tool in the other hand. And while we are building our homes up and building our values up and building our standards and building the protection of our families, we will fight with one hand and we will build strong marriages and relationships and our homes with the other hand. Nehemiah made a proclamation to those who would oppose him. He said to the enemy of their homes, you have no portion here. This city does not belong to you. This home does not belong to you. You have no portion here. We will rise up and we will build the walls and we will fight. And then he gave this command that I just love this morning, our key text. And I want you guys to put it back up on the screen where it says, Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. All of us here can remember the Lord. All of us here can remember a time when God did some great things in our life. When, when, when God took us out of something that we desperately need to be taken out of. He says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. Fight for your homes. You know, too many people today are allowing the enemy to just come into our homes and do whatever he wants in our relationships and our families. But God, listen to this, God does not want us with a passive attitude. He wants us to understand that there is a real enemy after your home and your marriage. And he said that there has to be some people that are going to rise up and fight for those homes. And I want to talk for a second just to the young couples, to the young relationships here today. Because I want to let you know that there has to be two things that you have to settle this morning. One is that you have to be committed to God. And two, that you have to be committed to your home. And I tell you, that's what's wrong today, that there's no real commitment anymore. You know, we have to be a people that rises up and says, like, sure, we're going to fuss. Sure, we're going to have arguments. Sure, we're going to get mad at one another. We're going to go through ups and downs. But we are committed to our God, and we are committed to our home, and nothing is going to tear us apart. And guess what? You're going to have to fight for that. You're going to have to fight for that to happen. It's inevitable. It is going to be inevitable that the enemy will come and try to destroy your marriage or your relationship. 
But we have to get this warrior spirit about us that says that I will fight for my husband, that I will fight for my wife. And if you're a grandparent here, that you will fight for your grandchild. And if you're a single parent, that you will fight for your kids or you will fight for that relationship. And I love the, the 20th verse there that says that if you will fight, then it's, it, he says these words that are just resonating with me this morning, that are encouraging to me, that, it's, that I'm not doing it alone. He says, our God will fight for us. If God can get some of us to stand up and rise up and fight, then God will fight for us. And it should encourage us this morning to know that if we do that, I mean, how great does it feel to know that God is going to fight for your kid? That God is going to fight for your home, for your sickness, for whatever it is you rise up and said and, and say enough. God will fight for us. That's amazing to me this morning. You know, I've heard many people say that it's tough to raise a family in these times. And I agree, they're right. But we shouldn't be afraid to raise our kids in the days that we are living in. Because the Bible says that no weapon that is formed against us will prosper if we are committed to God, prayer, and our families. Sure, they're going to go through ups and downs. Sure, they're going to go through tough times. Sure, they're going to go through tough situations. And I can tell you from personal experience that I think we've all had kids that haven't done the right thing. I think we've all had kids that, that was tough to talk about at times. But I love what T.D. Jakes, who is a famous preacher, a famous pastor, said one time. He says, I am convinced that we cannot keep our children from their testimony, which is true. We can't keep them from some things, but we can plant such word into their hearts. When they come through the, the difficult situation, they're going to know where the altar is, and they're going to know how to get back on. He said that when one of his kids was acting crazy and in full rebellion, that God told him to answer the people that would ask about his kid. You know, the people that would say, hey, how's your kid? How, how's that kid that's a difficult kid that's all rebellious? How is he doing? He, he said that God told him to answer that they are working on their testimony. They are working on their testimony. And I love that because there's been times in our lives where we've had to say that our son is working on his testimony. The Bible says that God will build this church and that the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. But we know that Satan is on a rampage. And if he cannot destroy the church, he will try to destroy the family. You see, before there was a nation, before there was a government, there was a family. It is the oldest institution and the only thing to precede it is God himself. So the enemy knows that if he cannot destroy the church... Guess who he's going after? If he can tear the family apart, he can weaken the church. So let me ask you this morning. If your home is the devil's number one priority in the times that we are living in, shouldn't it be our number one priority as well? If it is the devil's number one priority, we need to make our homes our number one priority this morning. You know, I thank God for my home. He's brought me through a lot to put me where I'm at today. I'm glad that he gave me my wife, Olivia. I'm glad that he gave me my son, Carlos, and his wife, Jenny. I am glad for my son, Ian, and my daughter, Alexis. My happiest times is not when I'm doing ministry, and I have to tell you, I really enjoy it. But my happiest times is when I'm simply hanging out with my family. My greatest moments and my greatest times are when we're together. 
Yes, we're going to struggle sometimes, but when it's all said and done, I just ask God to help me and teach me to number my days. You see, they're not always going to be little. They're not always going to be running around the house. They're not always going to be screaming at each other. So I ask and, and, I, and I tell God to help me to teach and number my days, to help me and teach me how to fight for my family. You know, the Bible says that the word husband comes from two Latin words, house and band. And in other words, if you are the husband, you are like a rubber band that holds something together. It is the responsibility of the husband to be the house band around the home. And if the home falls apart, it is not the wife's fault, ultimately, or the children's fault, but it is the house band that didn't hold things together like he was supposed to. And how do we fight for our families? We have to fight for our families with love. Because the greatest thing that I can give my children or family is not a million-dollar inheritance or a, or a multi-hundred-thousand-dollar education. The greatest thing that I can give my children is to love my wife the way that Christ loved the church. One of the presidents of a very prestigious university in Southern California, I mean Southern, South Carolina, His wife had Alzheimer's, and it progressed and got worse to the point that she didn't even know who her own husband was. She didn't know the man. And yet this very important leader and president of a powerful university would go back every day and stay with his invalid wife. He would talk to her, and he would stay with her all day, and he did this day after day until finally he went to the board of directors at the university and resigned. And they asked him, why are you doing this? You are a great leader. This college has grown under your leadership. We don't want you to do this. And one of the board members said, she doesn't even know who you are. Why do you have to stay with her all day? And his answer was a classic. He said, 50 years ago, I made a promise to that woman in the altar of marriage. And even though she may not know who I am, he says, I know who she is. And listen, in an uncommitted society, the key to happiness is costly commitment. Commitment to our kids, commitment to our wife, commitment to our God, commitment to our jobs, commitment to my responsibility as a dad and a father. You know, James Dobson wrote about the straight life. He said, the straight life is working, is a working man that is pulling your, your tired frame out of the bed five days a week, 50 weeks out of the year. It is earning a two-week vacation in August and choosing a trip that will please the kids. The straight life is spending your money wisely when you rather indulge in some new whatever. The straight life is taking your son bike riding on Saturday when you want so badly to watch the baseball game. The straight life is cleaning out the garage in your day off after working 60 hours of the prior week. The straight life is coping with head colds and engine tune-ups and crabgrass and income taxes. It's taking your family to church on Sundays when you have already heard every idea the preacher has to offer. It's giving a portion of your income to God's work when you already wonder how you're going to make ends meet. Welcome to a real man's life, Dr. Dobson says. He's talking about commitment. He's talking about commitment. In Genesis chapter 6, it says that Noah built an ark of salvation for his family. 
But in 1 Peter chapter 3.20, it gives us more insight, and it says, Those who disobeyed God long, long ago, when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat, only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. You know, this gives us insight that there were, of those who were saved, and it says that it was only eight, which was his entire family. And it wasn't just like Noah opened the doors and whistled and said, now everybody just come on in, and hopefully you'll make it before it starts raining. No, I'm sure that Noah had responsibilities. I'm sure he had a checklist of all the animals that were to have come on. And then after all that happened, I'm sure that he went to each one of his nine, well, it was eight kids and his wife, he went to each one individually to make sure that they got on the boat. And can you guys imagine if Noah had a rebellious teenager that said, ah, I'm not going. And Noah's like, if, if I have to take my belt off, you're, you're getting on that boat. It's like, no, I'd rather play with my friends, Dad. Like, boy, you better get on that boat. I mean, I'll beat you till you're 40 if you start giving him an attitude. Get on the boat. I'm telling you, that wouldn't have happened back then, would it? The scriptures say that Noah being the eighth gets all of his people on the boat. He made sure that his people got in the ark. Dads, husbands, we need to make sure that our kids get in the ark first. We can't leave it up to the preacher. We can't leave it up to the youth pastor to get the people in the ark. I don't want to leave it up to anyone else to, to, to put my people in the ark, to put my family in the ark. It is my responsibility to make sure that my kids get in the ark. Folks, I don't want Hollywood to raise my children. I don't want to let the internet raise my children. I'm going to, I want to raise my children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. I want to fight for my family. I want you to fight for your family. I want you to fight against the culture. I want you to join me and fight against the culture. I have a teenager now, and man, it's a tough fight. I mean, as a dad, God is going to put a burden in us if we will let him. And it is going to be a burden for our families. And when I talk about fighting for your family, I mean that you have to keep a close watch on them. What are they watching? Who are they hanging around with? What are they logging into on the Internet? You know, there was a popular MTV show called Room Raiders, perhaps some of you guys remember, where they just go in and raid the teenager's room unexpectedly. And whatever they find under the covers, whatever they find in the drawers or under the bed, they just kind of show it to the whole world. But let me tell you, before that show ever came on, my wife and I were the original room raiders. We don't subscribe to those signs that say, you know, keep out or knock before you come in. My wife and I told our kids from the beginning, if you live under my roof, we are going to walk into that room. There is no bill of rights. You have nothing to say about it. And whenever we want, we're going to open up the computer. We're going to open up the drawers. We're going to look under the bed. And you have no choice. And now it's tricky because I have a girl. So now we say you have 10 seconds to put something on, but I'm walking in. If I have to remove the door from there and I've done it and leave it in the garage, I've done that. Man, are we unpopular parents. And we've heard it all just like you have. Well, everybody's doing it. Well, we're not everybody. Fight over the hemline. And you have to pull it down and fight over the low-cut blouse and, and pull it up. We have to fight for this culture. And let me tell you, I know this sounds old-fashioned, but I do know one thing is that this new stuff is not working. We need to go back to the Bible. We need to go back to, to the fundamentals of what Christ wants for our families. We need to rebuild our walls of the home. We need to fight to hell and back for our kids. 
I don't want my kids to listen to 45 Cent or 50 Cent or whatever his name is. I don't want them to, to listen to Snoop Puppy Dog and talking about dropping it like it's hot. Or anybody with the name of Little at the beginning, Little John, Little Wayne, or Little whatever. I don't want them to listen to anyone like that. And you know what? I know my kids have. I know they try to get away with it all the time. But you know what? I'm going to catch them. I'm going to catch them. I'm going to fight that culture. You know, I, I really feel bad for my kids sometimes. My wife and I have had the same prayer for the last 20 years, and I want to encourage you today to pray that same prayer. And that prayer is that my kids would get caught every time they do something wrong. Man. Amen, right? And let me tell you, maybe I haven't caught them in everything, but I've caught them in the things that God has allowed me to catch. But that's the easy part. God is going to, if you pray that, God is going to allow you to see some of the bad things that they're doing. The hard part is holding them accountable and showing them tough love. That is the hardest part for me, is to know that I have to show my kids tough love. Dads, husbands, let me remind you that Job had a job. And in Job chapter 1, verse 5, he says, When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice the burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. It says that every morning, Job got up and he built an altar. The Bible said that this was Job's regular custom. He did it every day, not just when he was convicted or he felt our spiritual. This was Job's regular custom. He got up every morning, sacrificed the burnt offering for each of them, meaning he grabbed an animal, sacrificed it for child number one. Then he prayed for that child, and he kept on doing the exact same thing for the rest of his children. And he took time to pray personally for 10 of his kids every single morning. And when Satan came to try to attack Job, he had to admit that he couldn't touch him. He told God, I can't touch your servant. There is a hedge of protection on him and his family. And let me tell you, this morning, folks, I want my family to have that same hedge of protection, don't you? I want your families to have that same hedge of protection. Prayer, fasting, every morning for your kids. There's another story in the Bible about King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, who the Bible says were reckless in their lifestyle, godless in their everyday activities. Ahab and Jezebel were the examples of how we live our life really affects our family. Ahab and Jezebel were so wicked that in 2 Kings chapter 10, the Bible says that they had 70 offspring, 70 children and grandchildren combined. And it says, uh, starting in verse 7, it says, The king's sons number 70. The leaders of the city had taken responsibility for them. When they got the letter, they took the king's sons and killed all 70. They put the heads in the baskets and sent them to Jehu and Jezreel. You see, the Assyrians had invaded, and Ahab was the backslid of Israel. And what we have to understand this morning is that you may backslide as a parent, you may fall, and you may be able to come out through the other side, but every time a parent went in, their kids in the Bible, at least in one situation, but in, in, in most likely all of them, their kids didn't make it out through the other end. If the parent backslid, they may make it out. 
And there's a story of Manasseh who is a great example. Manasseh followed as, as king after King Hezekiah. He built idols and did horrible things. And years later, he woke up and returned to God. But the Bible says that his children never returned to God. Naomi is another great example. When, when the famine hit, she left Bethlehem and went to Moab, which was a cursed city, a place that represents the world like it does today. And she didn't bring her sons back. She made it back to Bethlehem, but her sons died. So, you see, we're not just living for ourselves today. Understand that if you fall and if you backslide, you may come back, but you're probably going to have to mortgage your kids in the process. The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 10 that they cut the heads off of 70 of Ahab's children and grandchildren. That was all of his offspring. And on the other hand, there is one man in the Bible and his wife who also had 70 offspring, 70 you know, children and grandchildren, and his name was Obedidam. The Bible says that when they were looking for a place to temporarily place the Ark of the Covenant, which was where God's presence dwelt at the time, they brought it into the house of Obedidam for three months. It was in his living room. And he had 70 of his children and grandchildren around the ark. And it so impacted his family to have God in his home and not in the church that something happened to all his 70 children. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 6, 11, that the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obedidim, the Gittite, for three months. And then listen to what it says. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. You know, we often preach about David getting the Ark of the Covenant and taking it back to Jerusalem and that he danced before the Lord with all of his might. But if you read through that story and you will find that in that train of people that were going back to Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant was Obedidim's entire family. It's as if they were saying, wherever the presence of the Lord goes, I will follow and I will go with them. And if you study it all out, you will find out that all of 70s, uh, the offspring of Obedidams, all 70 of them served in the temple. You guys get the contrast of these two stories? You have wicked parents, Ahab and Jezebel, and their 70 children and grandchildren have their heads cut off because of their parents' sin. But you have a man who said, I'm not just going to have God's presence at church, but I'm also going to take it home. And it so impacted that, that, he was, that he was taking them home that he, all of his 70 kids served and stayed and lived in the temple. You know, and I know that I've been talking to dads a lot and the leaders of their homes. And I know I've been talking to husbands here this morning. But let me tell you, my mother was my dad. My mother raised me and my nine other siblings in Mexico. She was a single parent. You see, my, my father passed away three months before I was born. So can you guys imagine being pregnant and your husband dying and you're about to give birth to me? Well, you don't imagine that part, but <laughs> that, that could have been even scarier. You know, my, my mom is now with the Lord, but I stand before you today because my mom fought for my family. So if you're a single parent today, I need you to know. And if you're the leader of your home because your husbands are not really present, I need you to know. I want to encourage you that this message is for you that we all have to rise up and we all have to fight for our families. You know, we've often heard a children's song that goes, I'm going to try to sing. Hmm. 
Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. There's a father up above, and he's looking down in love. Be careful, little feet, where you go. You know, we need to change that song for us this morning, for all of us adults. And it needs to go like this. Be careful, big eyes, what you see. Be careful, big ears, what you hear. There's a little face below, looking up with a glow. Be careful, big feet, where you go. Wow. Fighting for our families is not easy, folks. I want every single husband, I want every single dad, I want every single parent in this room to understand one thing. If you don't remember anything of what I have talked about today, is remember that Satan wants to make your home miserable. And I want to encourage you this morning to rise up and fight for your families. And I want you to contemplate and pray over this key text this morning, which comes from Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14. If you guys can pull it up, that says, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your homes. That is the word in season right now. Don't you agree? Folks, I want you to go home this, this week, and I, wa- I want you to read the stories that I provided to yourselves or to your kids. I want you to meditate on them. I want you to pray on, for them. But before you do that, before you walk out of these doors and commit yourself to do that, the commitment starts this morning. The commitment starts today. The commitment to rise up and fight for our families has to be done today. You see, I'm a guy too, and I know if I don't write it down or if I don't do something about it to, to really make sure that I commit to it, it's probably not going to happen when I walk outside of these doors. So I want to encourage you, every single one of you, to commit to come next week because Larry's going to give you some more details about how we actually fight for our family. I want you to, if you are going to commit to fighting for your family, I want you to mark it down in your response card and let us know that you plan to fight for your family, not because we want to know and we want to keep track of everybody that's doing it. We just want to pray for you. And then as we close in prayer, I I, want to do something that I want to bless every single leader of the home this morning. So I want, if you're a dad, I want you to stand up. If you're a single parent, I want you to stand up. If you are, you know, with your spouse and you're the man of the house, I want you to stand up. If you're the leader of the house, whatever the situation is, I want you to stand up. And I want us to, I just want to pray for you this morning. I want to bless you in the name of Jesus this morning. So can we all just close our eyes and close in prayer? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to bless every single leader of their home this morning through your power and your word, Father. And we claim to those promises that say that you will fight for us as if we rise up and fight for our families, Lord. So this morning, I want you to bless every single man and woman that has stood up this morning. Lord, I proclaim the power of the Lord on every single person to fight for their family. Lord, I ask that you would help them be the house band and the one who holds that home together when the forces come against them to destroy and to break it to pieces.
I could proclaim that you will be the leader just like Job was, Father. And I ask that you would help them, like Job, every single morning pray for their children, pray for their family, whoever is in their family, Father. Father, I pray that they would have an integrity of mind and a purity of mind that would be pleasing in your sight. Father, I proclaim them to be mighty men of God that will fight for their sons and that will fight for their daughters. And Father, that they will not abandon the commitment to the marriages and that, Father, that you would just help them to fight, to rise up and fight. Father, help us all to lead by example. Father, we thank you for your word, this message. I mean, for for your message this morning and for your word. Lord, and as we walk out of these doors, Lord, I just pray. Father, I just pray that we will walk out of different people as a result of having heard your word. I pray all these things in the beautiful and the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.